0: In college I spent four years in Alabama and throughout my time at Samford University in Birmingham I had the opportunity to preach all over the state of Alabama. That's right. The the boy from southeastern Pennsylvania with a last name like Pacienza spent four years preaching in Alabama, I've got some some pretty amazing stories, which I'll share with you at another time. But there was this one church in particular in Northwest Alabama that invited me back three times. They were the epitome of what you would call Southern hospitality. And in this small Baptist church in Northwest Alabama, there was a deacon by the name of Deacon Bob. Deacon Bob had been a deacon for 50 years. His dad had built the church, and Deacon Bob was the chairman of the deacons. He was was 83 years old, and he he would sit in the same place every single Sunday, and he was your resident cheerleader. He would give you an an amen. He would give you an appropriate hallelujah. But when you got to a passage or a, a, a verse, a particular verse that was troubling, he would stand up and he would say, fix it, preacher. You better fix it. And I look at this passage this morning in Isaiah 6, and this is one where Deacon Bob would stand up and say, fix it preacher, you better fix it. Why? Because the king is dead. Why is that mentioned in there? Our passage this morning opens up by saying, in the year King Uzziah died, why is that a big deal? Why is that a fix it preacher moment for us here in scripture? Well, we have to know a little bit about King Uzziah. Who was he? We read about him in 2 Chronicles. Chronicles, another book in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We read that King Uzziah came to the throne when he was only 16 years of age. We know that he reigned for 52 years. We know that he defeated the Philistines. We know that he built towers and cisterns, that money and wealth were, were, were plentiful for the people, as he was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He built an army that would have been considered in today's standards a global superpower. There was an abundance of wealth beyond their needs. In many sense it was a golden era, life was good, but now he's gone our leader, our king, the one that has brought us so much prosperity, the one that has brought us so much wealth, the one that has made us a global superpower, all of a sudden is gone. And you can imagine, you can imagine in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of this fix-it preacher moment, you can imagine the people panicked and scrambling and worried. You can imagine the, the consensus of the people going, We we need vision, we need a leader, we need a king, we need process, we need strategy, whatever it might be. And you know what God does here in Isaiah six? He says, You need a vision? Oh, yeah? I'll give you a vision. I'll open up the heavens, and I'll give you myself. Amen. I'll give you me. I'll give you God. Is that is that Deacon Bob? See he here? <laughs> Deacon Bob's here. Awesome. In Coral Ridge, we could all also fall into the same trap. We need a vision. We need strategy. We need process. We need a leader. And I think this message is very appropriate for us as well this morning. You need a vision? God opens up the heavens and he says, here I am. I'll show you. I'll give you a sneak peek into the throne room of heaven. What Coral Ridge needs What Broward County needs, what our community needs, what our people need is not a new strategy. They need a vision of God. And that's exactly what God does for Isaiah here in the King. In the year that King Uzziah died, see God uses these critical events in the life of Isaiah. He uses critical events in your life as markers. History is not just kind of some um, uh, randomness of, of life and events that happen. There are critical markers all throughout your life where you can look back and go, "Oh, it was in that year. It was in that year that King Uzziah died. That was the year when the whole world was turned upside down for me. It was in that year that." God God revealed himself to me. It was in that year that God revealed himself to Isaiah. And so, what I want us to look at this morning is what does Isaiah see and how does it change everything? What does he actually see in verses one through three? It says that he, that he saw the Lord sitting on a throne, a throne that was fit for a king. He looks up and he sees God seated as a king on his throne and he is high and exalted. And it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Think of that. Could you imagine? Just picture the sanctuary right now. And the train of his robe filling the aisles of the first floor, the the train of his robe filling the second balcony, the train of his robe filling the third balcony, reaching up into, into the ceiling. And think of our sanctuary compared to the temple of God, the throne room of God. And he says, that's how magnificent this God was. That's how magnificent God was, that the whole train of his robe filled the temple and he was high and lifted up. He saw a thing of beauty, he saw a thing of majesty, and he was blown away. You thought King Uzziah was incredible? You thought King Uzziah was amazing? Well, you have not seen the true king until you see the king of glory. And he opens his mind up, and what happens? He sees not only God high and lifted up on his throne, he sees seraphim, he sees these angelic beasts flying and singing to each other. It's this beautiful This beautiful verse, it says they're calling to one another. I picture these angelic creatures singing back and forth to each other continually all day and all night. And what are they singing to one another? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That these angelic beasts, these angelic creatures are singing that this God, that this God that is high and lifted up and exalted on his throne is set apart that there is none like him. King Uzziah was a great king, but there is nothing that could ever match or take the place of the God that is high and lifted up on his throne. And so he sees a picture of beauty. He sees a picture of majesty. He sees the holiness and the perfection of God face to face. And what does it cause him to do? How does Isaiah respond In verse 5, it says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now that word woe is interesting there. The word woe simply means it's a word of condemnation. It's a word of judgment that could possibly lead to death. And it was very common for a prophet of God to use the word woe. From the prophet Amos in the Old Testament from the to the prophet John the Baptist in the New Testament, it was very common for a prophet of God to pronounce a woe, a word of condemnation, a word of judgment woe to the Pharisees woe to the religious leaders but what was so uncommon what was so unusual is for the woe to be pronounced upon yourself it was as if Isaiah was saying this my whole career up until this point I have made a career on pronouncing woes of condemnation and judgment on other people and now I have encountered perfection I have encountered the holiness of God And the only response I can utter is woe to me. I am undone. In the presence of perfection, in the presence of holiness, in the presence of God, Isaiah goes, woe is me, condemnation and judgment upon me. He pronounces judgment and condemnation upon himself. And isn't it interesting that Isaiah says, I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. He doesn't say I'm a man of an unclean mind. He doesn't say I'm a man of an unclean heart. Why? Because what did a prophet use primarily? He used his lips. He used his mouth. And so what Isaiah is probably saying here, what he's probably admitting is the, even the one thing that I thought I could bank on of being kind of self-righteous, even that I need to repent of. Even the, even the things that have come out of my mouth as a prophet of God, even, even that I need to ask forgiveness for. That in sight, in light, and in the presence of a holy and perfect God, Isaiah says, even my mouth is unclean. God, would you forgive me of even the words that I have spoken, I am undone, I am unclean. And he pronounces a judgment of death upon himself. And it goes on to say in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. So picture this, Isaiah standing in the presence of a perfect God, pronounces condemnation and judgment upon himself and then all of a sudden he sees an angel he sees this angelic beast take from the altar of God the fire of God now if you know anything about the Old Testament the fire of God is never a good thing when you see the fire of God coming you're a goner you're done so you can imagine can you imagine the posture of Isaiah what would that have been like I'm standing in the presence of God, I have just announced condemnation upon myself, and I see this angelic beast, what, flying 100 miles an hour towards me with the fire of God from the altar of God. How do you brace yourself for something like that? Could you imagine the fear, the trembling, the torment Being overwhelmed by the fire of God. And you can picture Isaiah, eyes closed, bracing himself, and what happens. Verse 7 And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah was expecting death. And what did he receive? He received life. What a miracle, the miracle of the gospel. In the moment, in an instant where Isaiah expected light, expected death, he receives life. We see the cleansing and the healing of Isaiah here. What a miracle that in spite of his sin, in spite of the woe is me posture of Isaiah, in spite of his uncleanliness, what does God do? He removes his guilt, he forgives his sins, he's justified, he's made righteous. The miracle of the gospel, it says your sins have been atoned for, means your sins have been covered. He was expecting death, but he receives life, and what happens here? See, the miracle of the gospel, we see the fruit of the miracle of the gospel here in verse 8. We see that Isaiah is a new man because what happens in verse 8, it says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, not knowing what the calling was, not knowing what he was going to say, not knowing what he was going to do, not knowing what he needed to accomplish for God, he just stands up to the plate and he goes, here I am, send me. See, the calling of Isaiah is evidence that this man, this one Isaiah, the man of unclean lips who has been radically transformed by the gospel, now has a new heart. His affections change and his heart has been changed. He has no idea where he's going or what he's doing. See, the cleansing and the healing of Isaiah makes him whole for the first time. And it doesn't matter. The riches of God's mercy and his love compels Isaiah and motivates Isaiah to answer the call of God. Let me pause for a second. Only God can do this. Only God can do this work. In one instant, think about this. In one instance, Isaiah is crushed by the perfection of God. But in the same instant, redeemed by his love. And then, through that, is compelled to obediently answer the call to serve. Only God can accomplish that work crushed by the perfection of God, redeemed by the love of God, and now compelled to serve and to obediently answer that call. What is amazing here is that God is showing that he's not only in the business of redeeming people, that he's in the business of redeeming work. He's in the business of redeeming his calling, that not only, Isaiah, is your life now redeemed, is your life now set apart, but now your work is as well. You, I will redeem your calling as a prophet of God. What an incredible vision and picture for our church, a place, Coleridge Presbyterian Church, a place where broken people can come and find rest, but then motivated because of the richness of God's mercy, be sent out to serve and to love their cities and their community and their workplaces. Why? Because God has changed their life. God has changed our lives. But maybe he should have asked what he was about to do. Because what happens? In verses 11 through 13, Isaiah says, now how long am I supposed to do this? And we see it is a ministry of devastation and destruction. It's as, as if God is saying in verses 11 through 13, yes, King Uzziah is dead, and it, I hate to tell you it's going to get a lot worse. There will be destruction and devastation. But what happens? How does this story end? It says basically that the cities are going to be turned upside down. Literally, it's going to get so bad that only the stumps of the trees will remain. What is a stump? It's it's representative of death. Imagine riding down Federal Highway and seeing nothing but tree stump after tree stump, a city that lies in ruins. It was symbolic that the city must be put to death in the midst of ashes and ruins. But at the very end, we see the gospel. What does God say? The holy seed, the very last line, the holy seed is the stump. That's impossible, though the stump is dead. But God says, no, no, no. The miracle of the gospel makes this possible. That out of death, there will be life. That out of the ashes, there will be beauty. That there will one day be one that comes that will make all things new. See, the promise of God that although the city will be turned upside down, that out of death there will be life. Out of the stump will be the holy seed. What is the seed? It represents life, it represents offspring, it represents promise. And the only way that this is possible is because of the life and work of Jesus Christ. The holy seed, the holy offspring that would one day, years later, come. To rescue and redeem that which is lost. You see, going back to verse 5, remember when Isaiah says, woe is me? You see, somebody had to suffer. Somebody had to be condemned. You see, God didn't just look down at Isaiah and go, you know what? I kind of feel sorry for you, Isaiah. I mean, you you seem like you're repentant. It's not how God works. Somebody had to experience the woe of God. Somebody had to experience the condemnation of God, and Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that makes verse that makes verse 6 possible. Verse 6 and 7, that the reason that Isaiah is redeemed is because Isaiah has a substitute that would come years later, the Holy See, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus on the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where well, then it's the aha moment in scripture where we go, God has forsaken his son Jesus Christ. Jesus was forsaken on our behalf, so that we would never be forsaken by God you see here we have a picture the holy seed is our substitute he's our perfect substitute that takes on the woe and the condemnation and the judgment that that was set for Isaiah We read in scripture that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. The one who takes on our sin and exchanges it for his righteousness. The one who just didn't preach about resurrection. The one who embodies resurrection, literally raised from the dead for you. And God, the true king, cleanses and he calls And he makes all things new. King Uzziah is dead. And yes, life will not be easy. But don't lose heart. God is on his throne. Life is hard, right? And life is not easy. But there's good news. He's making all things new. For the woman that was diagnosed with cancer last week. God is on his throne and he's making all things new. For the man struggling with addiction this morning, God is on his throne and he's making all things new. For the couple that came this morning and said there's really no hope in our marriage, God is on his throne and he's making all things new. For the child that has lost their parent, God's on his throne. He's making all things new. For the parent who's lost a child, God is on his throne and he's making all things new. For those that are in a financial mess, for those that have experienced the death of a dream, for those that live with fear and anxiety, for those desperate for approval and can never find it, for those longing for purpose and meaning, and for those who think life cannot seem to get much worse than this, for Coleridge... A church who has lost its pastor and seemingly been turned upside down. God is on his throne and he's making all things new. Do you know this God? This God that through Jesus Christ freely forgives and offers you new a new life. The King, do you know him? Who's faithful when we have little faith. The king who grants life when we deserve death, and the king who is at work in your life and in this very church, who promises to make all things new. Let me end with this. There's an incredible 19th century Scottish fairy tale. It's a Cinderella type story, and it's about a girl who comes into the kingdom enslaved by an evil woman and her three evil daughters. And the girl is, works as a servant girl in the kingdom. And outside of the kingdom, there is a crowned prince who goes to battle. And in the midst of the battle, he kills a man unjustly. And after the battle, he looks down at his tunic and realizes that the blood of the man is upon him. And he goes and he takes off the tunic and he, he tries to wash The blood away and the stain remains. And he makes an announcement to the kingdom. He said, if there's anyone that can remove the stain, they will be my true love. And person after person, girl after girl tries to take the tunic to remove the stain. And the servant girl finds the tunic and she washes the blood and she removes the stain. And when the crown prince finds this girl, he falls to his knees and he says, You will be my bride, for you are my true love, for you have removed the stain. You see, the one that can remove the stain, that is your true love. You see, whether you believe in God or not this morning, There's all a longing inside of us for this story to be true. And God says it is. We have a longing for the burden of our guilt to be removed. And God, through the work of his son Jesus Christ, the servant king, comes down and he removes the stain. He is your true love. This God who forgives, this God who removes your guilt, This God who stands in our place, he offers himself freely to you today. He says, come and find rest.